Well, friends, please stand for the reading of God's Word as we continue what you might describe as our new series through the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus that will culminate with his death and resurrection in a few months. This morning we find ourselves in Luke chapter 2, verses 39 through 52. Remember, beloved, these are the very written words of God, written for you and written for me. Luke 2, uh, verse 39. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they, meaning Mary and Joseph and Jesus, They returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. And the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning... The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Indeed, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever, and may he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. Well, the other day at work, we were talking about this passage and how terrifying it would be, how absolutely mortifying it would be to lose your child, to lose track of your child like this. I think it's safe to say it's every parent's nightmare. To lose your child or fear that your child has been abducted, I can't even imagine. And our own Allison Crow told the story about a time when the crows were at the Texas State Fair when all of a sudden they heard a woman scream out in absolute panic. And she was screaming out three things in quick succession. Abby, pink shirt, white bow. Abby, pink shirt, white bow over and over again. It was really incredible that she had the presence of mind to distill into those three things, those three quick facts, who people needed to look for. And everyone started to look for a girl named Abby with a pink shirt and a white bow, and thank the Lord they found her. I can promise you, however long it took, that was far too long. 
for the precious mother of that little girl. Like I said at the start, losing your child is every parent's nightmare. And so put yourself in the shoes of Mary and Joseph when they realize that their 12-year-old little boy, the boy that they loved more than anything else in the world, was missing. And they were in another city, potentially far away. Mary was worried sick, the text indicates. Because I mean, lots of bad things could have been happening to a 12-year-old boy in the context of the ancient Near East were he to get lost in a situation like this. For example, do you remember the parable of the Good Samaritan that Jesus told? He tells a story that is historically plausible. He tells a story that would get the attention of his hearers. And he tells the story of a man who is traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And the man comes along a band of robbers who beat him and left him for dead. Okay? He was telling a story that's plausible. A story that happened to a man who was beaten and left for dead by himself. And if that could happen to a man, what do you think could happen to a 12-year-old child who was missing for three days? I shudder to think. According to verse 48, Luke tells us that Mary was in, quote, great distress. Now, the Greek verb there translated as great distress could also be rendered great agony. I think all of our moms, if they were helping with this translation committee, would say, yeah, choose agony. Choose agony. That's a better word than great distress. If I lost track of my child for three days, it would be agony, to say the least. So my question to you is, how did this happen? How could something like this possibly happen to Mary and Joseph and Jesus. I don't know if you've thought about this before. Did Mary and Joseph assume that Jesus knew when they were leaving Jerusalem? Did they just assume that Jesus knew this, okay? Had they given Jesus a time and a place to meet and thought he was with the group? Did they tell Jesus' younger brother James, hey, tell Jesus when we're leaving, and did James just not, you know, communicate that to Jesus? Given the cultural practices of the day, it's not at all difficult to see how something like this could happen. In the Old Testament, as it was written, it was required that all Jewish men from all over Israel travel up to Jerusalem three times a year for the great feasts of the people of God. But by the time that Jesus was born and growing up, it was common practice for husbands and wives to choose one to go to, okay? So the men wouldn't go to all three by this point in redemptive history. Husbands and wives would choose one. They would often take their children with them, and they would often travel in large caravans, okay? Um, and you can see that in our text. There would be safety in numbers. Look at verse 44. What does verse 44 indicate? It says, but supposing him to be in what? In the group. They went a day's journey. 
But then they began to search for him among whom? Their relatives and acquaintances. And so very trustworthy historical sources would tell us that we should be imagining in our mind's eye a caravan of people that would have left Nazareth and Galilee, okay? And there would have been immediate family members, friends, acquaintances, relatives, a large caravan that would travel from wherever they were up to Jerusalem. Then when the feast is over, the whole group goes home. We know from historical sources that the women and the children would be in the front and that the husbands and the young men would be in the back. So it's very easy to imagine that Mary is assuming that her 12-year-old son who's on the cusp of manhood, in this context, young men would be bar mitzvahed, about 13 years old. That's when they would be viewed as young adults, young men, but he's not there yet. You could see how Mary perhaps thought, 12-year-old Jesus, maybe this is the first year, he's with dad in the back. And dad is thinking, perhaps this is the last year that Jesus is with mom in the front. And so they all collect, like the, the family groups would come together at the end of the day. Perhaps they're having supper. They're talking about the day. That's when they realize Jesus is missing. And they would not find him for another day and a half. I don't mean to be redundant. I cannot imagine when they thought about where he might be or who might have taken him. Remember, how was it that, that Joseph got down into Egypt in the book of Genesis? He sold into slavery. It would not have been uncommon for a young boy like this to be kidnapped and sold into slavery. Lord knows what was happening to Jesus from Mary's perspective. Okay. So while Mary and Joseph are engaged in a frantic search, let's shift now to consider what's going on from Jesus' perspective. What's he thinking about? What is he experiencing? Because I submit to you, this is my view, I submit to you that Jesus was unaware that the caravan had left for home. Okay? I think at a minimum... He thought they knew where he was. Otherwise, he would have told them where he was. Otherwise, he would have communicated with them. Otherwise, he would have found out when the caravan was leaving. He would have explicitly asked permission. Can I stay behind? Can I hang out in the temple? Can I engage with the teachers? He didn't know that they had left. And anyone who has had a 12-year-old boy knows how something like this could happen. Somewhere in the chain of communication, it was lost on the 12-year-old Jesus the day that the group was leaving or that they were leaving. I think this text is, is amazingly highlighting both natures of Jesus Christ. Jesus was not only Yahweh God Almighty, second person of the Trinity, Jesus was also the God-man. Except without sin, that little boy was every bit like every other little boy who's been in our world. Prior to his public ministry at 30, 
At 12 years old, Jesus wasn't walking around doing miracles. He wasn't walking on water. He didn't invoke omniscience or anything like that. In fact, in his humanity, he was not omniscient. Do you understand that? In, and this is like, you know, much greater minds than mine have, you know, been totally perplexed and confused by this. Jesus is God Almighty. He is the Son of Man. He is the eternally begotten of the Father. And yet when his disciples asked him, when are you coming again in power and glory? Jesus said, no one knows. Not the angels of God, not even the Son, only the Father knows. Jesus and his humanity didn't know everything in the sense that he does now in his glorified state. Jesus didn't know when the caravan was leaving. Jesus didn't know what his parents were experiencing. And again, I submit to you, Jesus was completely engrossed in what he was doing. Have you ever had a 12-year-old boy who was engrossed in what he was doing and had no clue what was going on around him? Every man in this room was at one time that 12-year-old boy. It's a miracle any of us are here. It really is. It really is. If you would have known all of us as 12-year-old boys, you'd say it's a miracle that we were here. So imagine, so while Mary and Joseph are frantically in great agony, searching for their son, trying to figure out where he is, Jesus is completely clueless about that. He is as happy as he has ever been in his entire life totally focused and engaged with what he's doing. I mean, perhaps this was the first time he had ever had access to these kinds of teachers. He was 12, not 13. It was common for the husband and wife to go to one of these festivals every year. But we don't know if everyone went. The text doesn't indicate that they had all gone. Maybe this was Jesus' first year. I guarantee you, that boy had been waiting his whole life to be able to have access to the finest scholars of his day as would have been the case here so in your mind's eye this was a seven-day feast you should be imagining the first day of the feast was the Passover Seder or the Passover dinner and then the successive six days would be a variety of activities other feasts things like that and part of the allure of it is the best Jewish scholars of the day would be available in the temple area and they would be teaching the people. The population of Jerusalem would have gone from between 20 and 30,000 the week before the Passover to 150,000 or 180,000 during the Passover week. It would have swelled with people. All kinds of activity. People everywhere packing the city out. People surrounding the scribes and the teachers of the law. So I think Jesus had been anticipating doing this. He had tunnel vision. He was close to his bar mitzvah. Perhaps this was the first time he had access to these kinds of teachers. Look at verses 46 and 47. So interesting. Luke tells us that after three days... Mary and Joseph, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Verse 47, 
And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. You wonder what the people were thinking, okay? I can remember back in seminary, there was a new student, I can still remember his name, won't share it with you now, who sat himself in the first row and the professor would ask a question and when this fellow felt inclined to answer, he would turn around to face the class, okay? <laughs> to kind of share his insight with the teacher and then all of us know-nothings in the back of the class. I think largely due to his youth and newness, he was doing this. I can also say it was quite off-putting to the rest of us. Imagine the scene here. 12-year-old Jesus. He's a boy. 12-year-old Jesus wasn't just listening to the teachers and the scholars. He was giving his own analysis and offering up his own answers. Mary and Joseph indicate that when they come up, they're astonished. Absolutely astonished. I think they wanted to hug him and strangle him at the same time. Like, you know, they were imagining in their mind's eye, he had been taken off into slavery, maybe he was lost, maybe he had starved to death, and here, here he is, up in the temple, in front of God and everybody, interacting with the greatest scholars of his day. They were, un they were just like, what? Did not know what to think. And the people there, this is a preview of who this man would become. It says they were amazed by his wisdom. It was a sight to behold and Luke wants us to behold it. He wants us to be amazed by the wisdom of 12-year-old Jesus. In fact, he goes out of his way to highlight this. By the end of the sermon, I think we're going to be amazed by the wisdom of Jesus in two different ways, in two different senses. The wisdom of Jesus is clearly his focus. It's clearly his theme. He frames this narrative with bookends that emphasize that. He's doing that again. Look at verses 39 and 40. Luke writes, and when they had performed everything according to the law of God, this is in Jesus' presentation when he's 40 days old, they then returned to Galilee ultimately to their own town of Nazareth. Verse 40, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. And then the narrative that we have just read. And then verse 52, the other book end. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. That's Luke's interest. That's how he frames this story. Jesus was growing in physical stature and he was growing in wisdom with every passing day. If you're Luke, remember how John said, if I shared all the things that Jesus did and said, what did John say? There are not what? There are not enough books in the world to contain all of the amazing things that Jesus did and said. So all of the gospel writers, Paul himself, they are all on a 
pitch count, as it were, a word count with these narratives. Like, why is it that Luke goes from just before the birth of Jesus to the birth of Jesus to 40 days after his birth with the presentation, then he skips 12 years, okay, to tell this story. He's obviously getting this from Mary. And then he skips, after this story, 18 more years to the public ministry of Jesus. He's got to be very selective, very careful, because these books were written on papyrus, which came from a plant. It was expensive. Scholars estimate for, for the, the churches to buy a copy of the book of Luke, it could have cost upward of maybe $2,500 in today's coinage. They wouldn't have had any money. Luke had to be very selective. The materials to buy this, to have it copied, have the churches buy this, they had to be careful. So he chooses this. Of all the things that happened to Jesus as a boy, Luke chooses this because he's amazed at the wisdom of Jesus in two senses. He wants you to see the wisdom of Jesus at 12. Because if Jesus was this wise at 12, okay, what was he at 15? He grew taller at 15. He grew wiser at 15. He grew taller at 18. He was wiser at 18. He was wiser at 22, at 25, at 28, at 30, at the start of his public ministry, at 33, at the time of his death. Imagine the wisdom of Jesus. If this is what's happening at 12, what was this man, this God-man like at the end of his life? What is he like now? There's nothing you can't entrust to him. Jesus loves to share his wisdom with his people. We have access to it through the Lord Jesus. Luke wants us to be encouraged by that. But he also wants us to be encouraged with another facet of his wisdom that I think is, is you know, equally incredible to think about. Like I said, the text recognize, recognizes without impinging on the fact that Jesus was God, you gotta balance this. We don't wanna step over a line when you talk about the humanity of Jesus, okay? and maybe some limitations he has in his humanity, the text is saying that he's growing in wisdom. So in the same, you know, so, so he wasn't as wise as 12 as he was at 15, 18, 25, 30, or 33. He wasn't as wise then. He was growing in wisdom. He was growing in wisdom through experience. I think this accounts for verse 49. His response to his mother when his mother was in exasperation saying, what are you doing? And he says, well, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? He thought she knew. He thought she knew. The Bible very clearly says that Jesus never sinned. He never, ever sinned, but he was also fully a man. He was the God-man. He was every bit a 12-year-old boy who gets caught up in what he's doing. He didn't think about where his parents were. I can imagine on the car ride home. Initially, there's probably a lot of silence on the car ride home, okay? And then Joseph kind of like, you know, wanting to kind of dip his toe in the water 
was like Jesus is in the back seat. Like Jesus, you know, after three days, did it occur to you to wonder where we were? If you've ever had a 12-year-old son, he's like, nope. No, it never occurred to me, not even once. Did not occur to me. I think the text implies, like, why does, why does Luke tell us, following this, he's submissive to his parents in every way. Why add that editorial note? It's not that Jesus wasn't submissive. Jesus was always perfectly submissive. But Jesus was growing in wisdom. In my view, Jesus would not have done it this way if he had a do-over, okay, I think he would have been more communicative. He was growing, learning. So some hypotheticals for our consideration. And at the end, this is going to be very encouraging. It's encouraging to me. I hope it's encouraging to you. I think Luke's trying to convey this. Some hypotheticals. Would it have, would it have been possible for Jesus as a toddler to touch a hot stove and have to learn by experience that it was dangerous. I think we would agree that's plausible. We're not on dangerous ground there. Okay, eight-year-old Jesus. Was it possible for an eight-year-old Jesus to touch a stray dog that was in the village and find out by experience it's not good to touch a stray dog in the village that you don't know? I mean, was it possible for him to get his hand nipped? Or bit and learn by experience. That's not something that's good to do. I think of course that's possible. Of course that's possible. Was it possible for a 10 year old Jesus. To forget to latch the gate on the animal pen. When he left. I bet it was the last time he ever did that. I think sometimes we so shield Jesus. From the possibility of sinning. That we don't allow him to be human. And that is what is so mind-boggling about what theologians refer to as the hypostatic union. Jesus is one person with two natures. He is Yahweh God Almighty and he is human except without sin. He's like everyone in this room. And that's a comfort to me. Because he knows how you feel. And he knows how I feel. In fact, just this week in the office, uh, someone said about... Uh, um, one of their younger children was having maybe a setback in school. And the child was being so hard on themselves and beating up on themselves and, you know, just kind of overdoing that. And the mother said, you know, you should take comfort with the Lord Jesus. He was at one time a little boy. He knows how this feels. To which she responded, Jesus was perfect. Jesus never had to experience anything like this. And so there was no comfort to be found. Of course he was human. Of course he was like this. It was possible that one day he forgot to get his test signed when he came home because he got so active doing things. And he maybe, you know, the teacher rebuked him. He forgot. He knows what it's like to be one of us. So in your times of need and in mine, you can go to the Lord Jesus, who's not only God, but he's man. He knows how you feel. He knows what it's like to be in your situation. He has taken on your plight and mine. He is our advocate for the Father. We could not have a better representative than this. We should be amazed by his wisdom, and then we should be amazed by his wisdom. 
that he grew and he learned by experience. And he can identify with you and me in every way that matters. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, this is kind of a mind-blowing experience as we try to think through Jesus, the God-man, the God-man. Jesus who was so wise for his age. It's mind-blowing to think what he would have been like at 33, his acquaintance with the scriptures, how he applied it, his incredible wisdom and his glorification. We can't even imagine the wisdom of the second person of the Trinity. We also cannot imagine that, that that same Jesus had to learn and grow by experience. He had to learn. It was without sin, but he had to learn also like we do through the school of hard knocks. Therefore, he knows exactly what it's like to be one of us. Father, I pray that these things would endear us to him. I pray that it would encourage us to draw near to him. I pray that these truths would help us to love him and worship him and long for the day that we can actually meet him and see him face to face. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.